17. Chapter 17 of the Gospel of Luke. You know we've been walking through the Gospel of Luke, and we're to a passage now that starts to deal with some issues that are uh, interesting to many. You know, when I was growing up, there was uh, an expression that would be thrown around my house, and, um, and it was actually even thrown around the house when my children were younger. And that was this. Did you, are you the one of the ones that would hear, just wait until your dad gets home? Did you get told that a lot? See, my father worked a shift work, what that, a shift job. That meant one week he would work day shift, the next week he would work second shift, which would be 3 to 11, and then he'd work a last shift, 11 to 7, and he'd have another week where he would be like two of each of those. He did that for like 50 years. I'm like, what a servant, serving his family in that way. What that meant was, my mom dealt with us kids a lot. And remember some of the stories I've told you that we would do, the things we would be involved in? My poor mother, crowns in heaven for raising me. I'm quite sure of it. But many times my mom would say, just wait until your father gets home. Kind of like that to me and my brother. And for us, that was a scary thing, right? But then I flash forward like 30 years. And I'm a dad. And I know there were times that probably my wife, she homeschooled our children when they were young and was there just dealing with them all day. And she probably was like, I can't wait till your father gets home. No, not at all. But she probably would say, just wait till your dad gets home. And at the time, that meant discipline. But you know, I kind of like to think that there were some other ways that be received as well. Because I can remember when my kids were all small. Now, you've got to watch out, because my wife and I are a bit of an emotional time right now. My son left yesterday. He was with us for 10 days. He's in the Army, and now he's gone. You know, we don't know till when. But, so we're a little bit emotional, so that's kind of where this is going, maybe. But I remember when they were little, when all four of them were, like, you know, under 10 years old. And I can remember coming through the door. I'd like to think that maybe it wasn't expressed, but maybe it was felt. Just wait till Dad gets home. Just wait till Dad gets home. And I would come through the door, and I remember wrestling all four of them at once. I would usually win. No, you know that. It's just this time on the living room floor of just playing and wrestling and tickling and fighting and. You know, it's funny how, how it is. Just wait till Dad comes home. It can be received a couple of different ways. It's like, when you're doing wrong, just wait till Dad comes home. That raises fear. But when things are going well and everything's been righteous and Dad's coming home, we're going to have fun. Just wait till Dad comes home. That was a good thing. We're going to talk today from Luke chapter 17. And what we're going to see, Jesus is now going to start discussing, just briefly here, but more later on in the Gospel of Luke, about his return. And here's the thing. When we talk about the return of Jesus, he's coming again, folks. He's coming again. When we talk about the return of Christ, some of us get afraid, get scared, like I'm in trouble. And when Jesus goes back, he's going to spank me. I'm going to be in trouble. But other people, when you talk about the return of Christ, there's an excitement and a longing. What I'm hoping will happen as a result of the next 30 or so minutes 
is that you might transition. You might transition in your heart and in your mind to not dreading the return of Jesus, not looking at it with fear and trembling, like this is something bad that's going to occur, but instead to be excited and to know that the Lord is coming back. And there is a special crown for those who long for His appearing. Why is that? Well, Luke chapter 17, let's jump in at verse number 20. I'm going to read the whole passage here. It is the Word of God. Let's read it. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. This is verse number 20 of chapter 17. Let me tell you, when when you see an expression about the kingdom of God, they were saying, Jesus, tell us, when is the Messiah going to come back and set up his kingdom? That's what their question means. He answered them. The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Now that's what he said to the Pharisees. But then he turns to his disciples in verse 22. And he said to them, The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man. Son of Man is a title that Jesus most liked to use about himself. When he says Son of Man, Jesus is talking about him. Harkening back to Daniel chapter 9. When the Son of Man is the Messiah, who is God. He says, you're going to be days when you're going to want the Son of Man to be here. And you will not see it. Verse 23. And they will say to you, look there. Or look here. Do not go out and follow them. Verse 24. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in His day. But first, He must suffer many things and rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, They were eating and drinking and buying and selling and planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. That is a very important phrase. So it will be when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who's in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife? Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. Whoever keeps, whoever, I'm sorry, will lose it. Whoever loses life will keep it. I tell you that in that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together Grinding at a mill there, one will be taken, the other left. And they said, where, Lord? Great question. Where will they be taken? He said, where the corpse is, there the vultures gather. Now, 
you probably realize that we are starting now to enter into a topic that is called eschatology. And I just want to tell you where I come from, where I land on issues of eschatology. Now, what is eschatology? Eschatology is from two Greek words. They mean the end things. That's the eschat part. And tology means study of. So eschatology is the label that we give the doctrine of end things. Now, I have a particular view, okay? And I want to put it up on the screen here, and it's a, bit, a lot of words, okay? It's the pre-tribulational... I'm just going to... I'll explain this, okay? So just relax. But I want to just be honest with you where I come from when, when you talk about eschatology. It's the pre-tribulational, futuristic, premillennial view of biblical prophecy interpretation. Whew, wow, that's a lot of words. See, what does all that mean? Let me tell you what, I, what, what that means. When I read prophetic parts of Scripture, like Luke 17, I understand that God has given us a lot of information about what the future holds. God has told us quite a lot. Now, He hasn't told us everything. Don't get me wrong. And sometimes... People, when they talk about like the end of the world, okay, I hate that term, but okay, when they talk about the end of the world, people go one of two directions. One is they scoff and they say, people have been saying that Jesus is going to come back for thousands of years. You don't know, when you say that, you're quoting scripture. That's 2 Peter chapter 3. Scoffers have been saying that, people have been talking about this for thousands of years. Well, listen, Jesus is going to come back. He said, I'm going to come. He's going to come. So one view is to kind of be like, eh, whatever, I don't know what the future holds. I'm not too worried about it. Listen, if you're going to land there, you've got to erase a lot of your Bible. Jesus had a lot to say about future events. Now then the other option, the other option is like this article that I found this week. Let me read you the title. This article came out because very soon, actually I think it was this past Friday night, there was a movie with uh, Nicolas Cage that was just released called Left Behind. Am I right? Is that what it's actually called? All right, all right. Here's an article about that movie. I haven't seen the movie. I'm not giving it a recommendation. I'm just referencing it. Here's the title. Nobody is getting left behind because the rapture is never, ever going to happen. Period. That's the article. Now, there's a page after page after page. See, people go one of two ways. We either say, ah, that ain't going to happen. That's not going to happen. You know, that, that people are talking about that for a thousand years. It's never going to happen. Or people swing completely the opposite direction, and they become like these, you know, super-duper big-head-like eschatology freaks that every time something happens on the news, they're like, oh, I knew it, Jesus is coming back tonight. Let's go up and wait on the roof. He's coming back tonight. Oh, it didn't happen. He's coming back tomorrow. He's coming back tomorrow. And they over, over, over emphasize this. Over and over and over. Jesus is coming back. We tend to swing one direction or the other. I want us to see that God has laid out a plan. Let me tell you what I believe the Bible teaches. Because it's going to impact what I'm going to share with you in Luke chapter 17. Jesus came. His first coming. Jesus came. Born as, a, born as the infant. Okay, They're in the manger. All that kind of stuff. Right? We study, we study that all the time. 33 years he was on the earth, crucified, ascended to be with the Father. And then we enter into the church age, and that is now. 
And all that means is this. God is choosing to bring the message of His grace primarily through His church. That's what that means. God is choosing to bring the message of His grace to the world, primarily through little groups of body of believers just like ours. He chooses to use groups like this to bring His message of grace to the world. We are in the church age. We don't know how long that's going to last. It started on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, about 2,000 years ago. But the next thing to happen on God's prophetic timetable, as you read all of Scripture and understand what God has told us about future events, the next thing that's going to happen is called the rapture. This is not meant to scare you. It's not meant to, it's not meant to freak you out. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 talks about it. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 talks about it. John chapter 14 talks about it. Revelation chapter 3 talks about it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 talks about it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 talks about it. It's all through Scripture. It's all through our New Testament. That there's coming a day when Jesus Christ is going to return, Acts chapter 1, in the same manner that He ascended to be with the Father, He's going to return in the same way, in the sky, and He's going to rapture, all that means is to snatch away. It means to grab something and pull it towards you. He is going to reach down and bring all believers, all believers who are part of His church are going to be with the Lord forever. It's called the rapture. Now this guy's article, one of the things he said... I threw him down the ground. That probably shouldn't have done. I didn't mean to disrespect you, whatever your name is. But one of the things he said is, rapture's not even in the Bible. That's the oldest argument in the book. And it's ridiculous. You know why? We use many words that aren't in the Bible. The Bible wasn't written in English. Right? Rapture is a term that is used for this concept of Jesus snatching away his followers in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Second thing he says is, the idea of rapture has been around for 200 years. You, if you read anything, if you find this article and read it, he'll talk about that. That this guy named Darby came up with this 200 years ago. Not true. Over on the table over there, I have a, a scholarly article that you can pick up. I've only got four copies. No disrespect. I didn't think people would be running towards it. An article that demonstrates that in as early as 200 A.D., so that's just after the resurrection of Christ, just after the writing of Revelation, that authors were writing about a rapture. It's not a 200-year-old idea. It's an eternal idea that God has had. Well, I'm getting a little bit carried away here. I want to move on. The rapture will occur next, and after the rapture, there'll be a time of great trouble on the earth. Seven years is called the tribulation. Now, this is what the scary stories are about. The tribulation. What is the tribulation? The tribulation is God's last-ditch effort to wake people up. And so God brings His judgment very evident on the world with the desire to bring people to Himself. And that will go on for seven years. The first three and a half years are going to be bad. The last three and a half years are going to be really, really bad. This is based upon the book of Revelation, the book of Daniel. All through this time of tribulation, seven years on the earth, the point of this is in God's grace is to bring people to Himself. It's no different than the parent with a wayward child who says to their child, that's it, 
You're grounded. You can't use the car. You're stuck in the house. You can't go anywhere. Why are they doing that? Because they hate their child? Because they don't like... No. They're trying to rein them in so that they will break. They want them to break. The tribulation is about allowing mankind to break so that when Jesus returns at His second coming, when Jesus returns, the greatest number of people possible will be worshiping Him as Savior. When Jesus returns, that ushers in really eternity. We usually say a thousand-year kingdom because it is, the thousand years is significant, but I just want to just call it eternity from there out. And then we have new heaven, new earth. Now this is the eschatological scheme or plan that I believe the Scripture teaches. Why am I bringing that up? Let's go to Luke chapter 17. Because in Luke chapter 17, there are some things that you're going to recognize and you're going to realize, but there are some things that you are going to misunderstand about Jesus' second coming. Let's talk through it. Now, the Pharisees start with this first set of questions, okay? This is the Pharisees talking. And, and they're going to ask a question here. They say to Jesus, the kingdom of God is not coming... I'm sorry, they ask the question. The Pharisees, when is the kingdom of God going to come? That's their question. And now Jesus attempts to give an answer here. But they ask, when is the kingdom of God going to come? I want to talk about this idea of the kingdom of God. A king and a kingdom is kind of my theme here at first. What is the kingdom of God? Luke is going to talk, Luke's going to use that phrase over and over and over. The kingdom of God really has two, you can think of two realms. Now, we are not familiar with kings. I mean, our whole country was born and revolting against a king, right? So kings are not real familiar to us. But the kingdom of God has two realms. You'll recognize these realms if you just allow me to explain them to you briefly. First of all, you have the universal kingdom. God spoke and everything existed, right? And God is the ruler, the king of the whole universe. Jesus displayed that he was ruler over the kingdom of the world, over the universal kingdom. How did he display that? Well, by overcoming sickness, by overcoming death, by overcoming disease. Jesus would speak and then there'd be bread. Jesus would speak and then there'd be wine. Jesus walked on the water. Jesus commanded the wind and it obeyed. All these things that we saw that Jesus did show that he is the king of the universal kingdom. And scripture makes that clear throughout. God spoke and it all existed. And we have the universal kingdom. But that kingdom is cursed. Isn't it? I mean, I go out to my yard and I plant tomatoes and weeds grow up. What's the deal with that, right? You know, I, I, I drive down the road and somebody like pulls out in front of me and I get mad at them. How dare you plant in front of me? Well, I thought this was God's kingdom. It is. But the kingdom of God, the universal kingdom of God, is cursed because of sin. We need to understand that there is an aspect of the kingdom of God that is not living in obedience to the ruler. We all know that to be true. Now that's one realm of the kingdom of God. But there's another realm, a second realm. And that's the spiritual 
kingdom of God. Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, unless a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Remember that? In John chapter 3? Soon after that, he said that, for all so loved the world, he gave him a begotten son, okay, all that, that John three sixteen. But before that, he said, unless a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What is he saying? See, we have, a, we have a universal kingdom that Jesus rules over, but then we have a spiritual kingdom. And this spiritual kingdom, it lives within the universal kingdom. And if you are born again today, you are part of the spiritual kingdom. And we live as part of the spiritual kingdom. I am a new creature, and you are a new creature. Jesus Christ comes and lives inside of you. You are born again. And now, when you are reborn, you become a member of this spiritual kingdom. But we're stuck here in the universal kingdom, cursed by sin. Does this seem familiar to you? This is why Scripture talks about, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that we live on this world and we groan. Listen to this passage. I wrote it down. I wanted to make sure I I read it. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building for God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed, by putting it on, we may not be found naked. See, what Paul is saying and what God is teaching us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, is there is a universal kingdom that God controls. He created it. He made it. But there is a spiritual kingdom that we are all part of, those of us who are reborn. And the rub that you feel is the gap between. When I was first married, I left for basic training two weeks later. Not a good marriage decision, but it's just how the Lord was working on our plan. Nancy and I got married on February something or other, and I left March something or other. Okay? Two weeks later, I left. 17? Okay. February 17th. That's right. I left on March 5th. Okay? I went off to basic training. Young. Way too young. But we were young and married, and, and it worked. And I'm happy. But anyway. So I go off to basic training. Now, this is before cell phones before email, all that kind of stuff, right? Remember those days? Okay. And I remember going to the payphone and waiting in line, long line, you know, got, get off the phone up there, man, come on, and waiting in line and getting up and dialing the phone, see how I'm dialing it? Okay, remember those days? Okay. And calling Nancy, one 304 and then she'd get on the phone. Oh, it was so sweet to hear her voice. But it wasn't complete. Right? There was a rub. There was a distance. It just didn't quite feel right. Because we were apart. We were together, but we were apart. It's no different with God and His kingdom. Do you know why it is we long for His appearing? Do you know why I can't wait for Jesus to return? 
There was a day I couldn't say that, I'll be honest with you, all right? There was a day when I was a younger man and there was a bright future ahead of me, right? All that kind of stuff. I didn't want Jesus to come back. I had too many things I wanted to do. You're there, some of you, I know that. There's too many things you want to do. You want to own this, you want to drive that, you want to play this, you want your family to do this, and all that kind of stuff. Well, listen, let me just tell you, and anybody else who's my age or older will also agree with me, man, you long for Jesus to come back. You know why? Because in that moment, the universal kingdom, the kingdom of God, where God rules and God reigns, though it be cursed right now, and the spiritual kingdom, where Jesus lives in my heart, and He rules my life, and I want to obey Him, I want to follow Him, I want to live as a disciple of Jesus Christ. When Jesus returns, they're one. They're one. There is no curse. There is no temptation to sin. There is no addiction. There is no struggle. There is no hurt that the curse has brought. And that is why we long for Jesus to return. I have a king. I have a king. His name is Jesus. And we're going to have a kingdom and live there with him. That's king and kingdom. I guess that's like sermon number one, okay? Let's see, let's look at the interaction. So Jesus says, the kingdom is not coming in ways that can be observed. Notice who he's talking to. He's talking to the Pharisees. He's talking to the Pharisees. The Pharisees say, when's the kingdom of God coming? Listen, they don't want this. That's not what, they aren't looking for spiritual kingdom and universal kingdom being one. That's not what they want. You know what they want? They want a leader. They want a military power. They want, quite honestly, to kill all the Romans in this day. That's what they want. Just like you and me. We want our guy to win. We want our team to win. Oh, that's just, that's human nature. And so when they're asking for the kingdom of God, they want a ruler to come and lead the way and wipe out their enemies. And Jesus says, you guys are all wrong. You're wrong. Now, there are some things we're going to see here that are, that are already true. That are already true, and then things that are not yet true. And our first already truth here, we're, we're really jumping into it here. The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. It is already true that we long for the kingdom. It is already true. And Jesus is saying, it is not coming the way that you think it's going to, but the king is returning. That is already true. The king is going to return. He is going to return. Now, some will say, look, here he is. Or there, behold, he is over there. And Jesus says, no, no. The king is establishing his kingdom already. Because the kingdom of God, notice what it says, is in the midst of you. What does that mean? What is Jesus saying? Now look who he's talking to. Who is his audience? Who is he speaking to when he says that? He's speaking to the Pharisees. So there's no way he's saying the kingdom of God is in you. He's speaking to the Pharisees. He's not telling them the kingdom of God is in them. No. He said, I love the way the ESV translates this word here, because it means among. It means in group with. He's saying the kingdom of God is right here in your midst. What's he saying? Where's he telling them to look? At him. He's saying, you want the kingdom? I'm right here, is what he's saying. Listen, the kingdom of God, he is returning, he is establishing his kingdom, and he is ruling, is what's happening. He is ruling, but be careful. 
Where is he ruling today? Hmm? Or hmm? Universal kingdom? Or spiritual kingdom? Ah, your apprehension is very wise. You don't want to answer this question. Because it's a trick question. Alright? Jesus is ultimately ruling the universe. I realize that. But he is, for now, allowed a time in the name of free will for the reign of sin to be here. But in our hearts, he desires to rule. These things are already true. They're already true. It's already true that the king is ruling. It's already true that he's establishing his kingdom. It's already true that he is going to come again. Now let's look and see what's not yet true. So then he says to his disciples, now it's very important to see who his audience is. He now says to the disciples, I love the way Jesus does this. Parents, he uses every moment as a teachable moment. Every chance he gets, he instructs his followers. The Pharisees ask him a question. Jesus answers them directly, you know, two or three sentences, and he turns to the disciples and says, guys, come here. Let me fill you on a lot. And it says a great deal to them. And what he is going to say, most of these things, they're not here yet. They're not here yet. Let's look at them. He says, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man. In other words, you're going to want me to come back. The days are coming, you're going to want me to come back. You're going to groan. You're going to feel the disparity. They're going to give their lives for this Messiah. And they will say, look there and look here, but don't go out. Don't go out following them. There's going to be false messiahs. And you're going to, they're going to say, hey, Jesus came back. He's in the kitchen. You want to go talk to him? People are doing this all the time nowadays. You know, people are going up and you know, sell everything they have and like up in their pajamas up on a house because Jesus is going to come back. That's not the way it's going to be. When Jesus returns, look what he says. All will see the king. For at Verse 24, as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will be when the Son of Man comes back. All will see. You won't have to question when Jesus is coming back. Everyone is going to know it. Revelation 1.7, everyone will see. All eyes will see when Jesus returns. Then it goes on. Verse 25, but first, he must suffer many things rejected by this generation. Until Jesus comes back, people are going to reject Him. This is, this is already true and not yet true. It's going to continue. The rejection of the King is going to continue. And then He gives two examples. He says, Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage. When Noah is out there building the ark. Peter says he's preaching. He took like a hundred years to build this boat. And people saw him building and they kept on building their houses and doing their thing and scoffing and laughing and he just kept on building. It's the same with the return of Christ. People are going to scoff as we look forward to the day that Jesus comes back and the two kingdoms come together. They scoff, oh, he's been saying that for a thousand years, of course. Oh yeah, Jesus is going to come back, sure. Same way it was in the days of Noah. Same way with Lot. Look, he also uses Lot. Verse 28. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot. They were eating and drinking and buying and selling and planting and building. But on that day, when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man 
is revealed. People are going to continue to reject Christ. Don't be surprised by that, is what Jesus is saying to his disciples. Don't be surprised. They're going to continue to reject me. Then it says in verse 31, now this should wake us up. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not return back. Remember Lot's wife? What happened to Lot's wife when she turned back? It's very strange, okay? I'm not, don't, don't think that I don't find this a little odd well, as well. But what happened to Lot's wife? Turned to a pillar of salt. Big, you know, jar of Morton salt, I guess. I don't know. Turned to a pillar of salt, okay? Why? Because she turned back. Revealing that she wanted to be there. She longed for Sodom and Gomorrah. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will keep it. The return of Christ is coming. All will see him. The rejection of the king. We need to see that when Jesus comes back, it's a judgment. It's a judgment. I tell you, then the night there will be two in one bed. Man and wife laying in bed. One will be taken, the other left. There were two women grinding together. One will be taken, and the other left. Now, don't answer this question, but do not answer this question. Do not answer this question. What's Jesus talking about there? Don't answer it. Because I know you want to say the rapture. Right? That's what you want to say. You want to say the rapture. That's the rapture. Jesus hasn't been talking about the rapture. Notice. Disciples said, where are they going to go? Where, Lord? He said to them, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Jesus is talking about his return. And listen, when Jesus returns, he's not coming to take people away to heaven. When Jesus returns, when Jesus comes to the earth, He's not coming as a lamb. When Jesus returns, He comes as a lion. And the people who have rejected Him, the same thing will happen to them that happened to those who rejected God in the time of Noah. Those that rejected God in the time of Noah, when the water came, what did it do? Took them away where? To death. Those who rejected God in the time of Lot, and they continued to reject God, and the hail and the you know, fire came down from the sky, where were they taken to? They were taken to death. Don't misunderstand what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying, I'm coming back, folks, and you're longing for it, but I'm coming in judgment. Now, these are heavy words. You might say, well, Lord, I, I thought you were talking about the rapture. The rapture seven years before this. The rapture seven years before Luke chapter 17. See, the rapture hasn't occurred yet because grace is still available. Grace is available. It's right here. Grace is available. But folks, judgment is coming. Judgment's coming. So we got a world that needs to hear about Christ. 
They're out marrying and, and, you know, all that stuff. Eating and building and doing all that stuff. And meanwhile, there's coming a day when the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return. And if we're in this room hearing about the grace of God, about Jesus laying down His life for us, dying in our place, we don't want to be there at that moment on the earth. I want to return with Christ. Because that's what happens with this church. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, You have been clear in Your Word. I pray that we would be clear in understanding.